Joining us today, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. This is our third session during the plague with Dr. Bhattacharya. Early on, he told us what to expect. In our second session with him, he reported on a study that he had just conducted in Santa Clara County. Back with us today by popular demand. You are, Jay, I have to say, one of our more popular guests. Yes, it beats me too. Uh, today, today, Jay is going to be telling us about a third study and an especially interesting study that he has conducted with the Major League Baseball Organization. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya and the MLB on Uncommon Knowledge with Peter Robinson in this special Plague Time edition. Welcome, everybody. And th Jay, thanks for making time once again. My pleasure, Peter. Okay. You've conducted three studies. Let's start with the one that's just about uh, to become public, your study of the Major League Baseball Organization. How did this come about? How did you conduct it? Just give us a layman's overview of the study itself. Uh, sure. So it's, it's similar in some sense to the other studies uh, in that I'm looking for antibody prevalence uh, in, in, a, in a population. It just so happens this population is a, is a very unique population. It's the, the set of employees who work for Major League Baseball and the, and the teams around the country, the Major League teams around the country. Um, how did it come about? Uh, the way that the other studies came about actually was through, in some sense, indirectly through Major League Baseball. Uh, okay. A gentleman named Dan Eichner uh, off, reached out to me, and he offered me uh, and, uh, and my colleagues uh, 15,000 of these test kits to, to check for antibodies. He said, use them for, for population health, just for free. I mean, just a very generous man. Um, he, and he works very uh, routinely with Major League Baseball on all, on all kinds of other, other sort of lab-related things. Um, and uh, he introduced us to the, the Major League, uh, the, you know, the folks in New York, and uh, they basically very readily agreed to let uh, us run a study in the, all of their employees, mostly not athletes, actually. Almost, it's, it's just regular Major League Baseball employees and some of their, uh, some of their family members. Um, so these are these are the people who handle the accounting, who handle the catering services, who handle press relations, figure out the television contracts, that sort of thing. The people who yeah. are who are in the in the stadium office, not down on the field or in the dugout. Is that correct overall? Yeah. I mean, I think there may be some coaches, but uh, for the okay. most part, it's exactly who you, who you said. I mean, it's it's people who uh, who just they, they work for an organization. Just so happens it's Major League Baseball, right? Um, and so. Uh, if I want to distinguish between, you say you were looking for antibodies, and that is a different kind of test from the kinds of tests that we saw earlier on in the crisis, which were exclusively PCR polymerase chain reaction tests, which simply identified whether you were sick at that moment or not. Your serological tests, which search for antibodies, say whether you are sick at that moment or have been sick in the past, excuse me, not even sick, but have contracted the virus in the past and perhaps even cleared it so you're no longer sick. Is that right? Have you been paying attention to me, Peter? Is that what's happened? <laughs> this, is our, this is the third time we're discussing this you've on camera, exactly Jay, right, and you've explained exactly it to right. me over coffee about five times in addition. So <laughs> I finally have it. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we're looking for antibodies. And as you say, we're looking for evidence of, of current or past infection with the antibodies. Uh, if I use the, the PCR test, I would just get how many people currently have the virus right now, which is interesting, but not, uh, it's not as, uh, I mean, to me, it's more, it's more interesting to know how many people already had the virus so we can figure out how far along the epidemic we are. Right. And the second aspect of this test, when you conducted your first serological test here in Santa Clara County, as I understand it, it was either the first or one of the very first 
serological tests. They took longer to develop than the PCR test. This, and now several dozen of these tests have been conducted here, there, and everywhere. This MLB test is the first test that gets us, at, gets us pinpoints across the map. We, we, we get some kind of feel for what's taking place across the nation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, mean I wouldn't say it's nationally representative. That's not right, because the MLB population, even though employees are our unique population, um, but, but it is a, a population nationwide scope. And uh, it's, a, it's a peak, as you say, into, into what the disease is doing all, all across the country in one go. All right. And you mentioned when we talked about this the other day, you wouldn't tell me much because you hadn't published the results yet, but you mentioned that you consider it almost entirely bad news. Well, so give us I the results and tell us why you, why, or were you just feeling blue at that moment? I, I might have been feeling blue. I mean, I, 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 I'll tell you the results and you can right. decide if it's good or bad news. All right. Um, so the first first main, main line result is that the prevalence is 0.7% of the population of the MLB employees, 0.7%. So seven in a thousand have had evidence of the virus, infected with the virus. Now that's much lower than we found in Santa Clara County, which is about 3%. So yes, yes. So in a thousand, a thousand. And in LA County, about 4%, about 40 in a thousand. Um, so it's, so it's it very clearly the case that this is a, this is a different population which has been exposed less to the virus than, uh, than um, you know, sort of the, po the populations at large that we found in Santa Clara, Santa Clara and LA. Um, as you say, uh, a lot of other studies actually now have been done in the United States and elsewhere. Again, these serologic studies, uh, one in Miami-Dade that found about 3%, just like Santa Clara, another in, in um, New York, which found about 25%, New York City in 25%, uh, upstate New York about 3%, Telluride, uh, Colorado, about one, one or two percent, um, and, and around the world, uh, they found numbers, you know, ranging from, you know, three, three, two, three percent to, to uh, as high as thirty percent, I think. So, your your numbers are low. The MLP study comes in yeah. with low numbers, but in general, aside from New York, New York is an outlier. Every, everywhere else you test, you get. 3%, 4%, 2%, low single digits. New York pops up to double digits. Italy also. Singular. Sorry? The northern part of Italy also pops up higher. Uh, uh, right. Okay. Some parts of Germany. Is, yeah, I mean, but yeah, in a, lot of, a lot of places we're getting, you know, single digits, exactly. All right. So let me ask, why, why would the MLB population be 0.7 when in some cases we have data on the surrounding population? New York, certainly. They're what? They're the Mets and the Yankees. And there, what were those results? There were like 3% in the MLE population and 25% in the surrounding. Now, I think, uh, and, and actually that's true in Santa Clara too. So, uh, you know, the Giants were zero. Were they really? Yeah, 0%. Uh, the, the Angels, I think, the, in Los Angeles were the highest, about 3.3%, still lower than the surrounding uh, LA County. I mean, of course, they're not in LA County, but uh, that, that's the closest. Uh, Dodgers were also below LA County. I mean, I think, uh, so that, that, that points to a couple of things that are, I think, really important. Uh, so first of all, uh, th this is a working age population, it, and it's, it's, a, it's an organization that has, that has implemented a lot of, uh, very actively implemented uh, measures to try to control the spread of the disease. They, they, they've promulgated, you know, hand-washing protocols, they've put in place, uh, they've, they've complied with stay-at-home orders, uh, they've, they've, they've put in, uh, 
uh, you know, the social distancing when they are, are sort of have to be, you know, a place where, where they're at work, they, they shut down spring training early. Um, I mean, they've worked very hard to control the spread. And, that, and that's, in one sense, that means that is good news, right? They've, that's been very effective in, in, in controlling the spread in their, in their population. Um, the other, the second thing is that they, this, and we saw this in Santa Clara and LA. And I think we're starting to see this nationwide. Um, there's a steep socioeconomic status gradient in who gets, who has been exposed to this disease. Meaning? Meaning that poorer people are much more likely to have had the disease than, than, than people who are, who are, you know, who have jobs, who have regular, regular employment. Um, and so we're kind of seeing that in the MLB population. The MLB employee population, they have regular jobs um, and, the, 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 and their prevalence is lower. So these are the people you tested and the Yankees organization, the people you tested work in the office complex attached to the stadium. And then they, they get in their cars and they drive home to nice suburbs in New Jersey and they don't go home to the Bronx the surrounding population. As I recall, the Bronx is one of the high, within New York, the Bronx is one of the more infected areas. Yeah. So it's, these are pretty good jobs. And these would be middle-class to upper middle-class people you tested. And it's good in a time of plague to be middle-class or upper middle-class. I mean, we did have a few uh, like concession workers and, and poor people, but it's, it was, it, it, uh, it was a mixed uh, success getting those kinds of folks in because they tended to be part-time employees as opposed to full-time employees. Um, but yeah, I think that generally, as you said, exactly right. I mean, I think uh, we're sort of in the MLB population, we're seeing a peak at that socioeconomic status gradient that we saw very clearly in the Santa Clara numbers and the LA numbers. So Jay, the one piece of bad news, one piece of bad news is almost ethical rather than medical, meaning poor people get hit, hit harder. This is not something we like in America, but that just seems to be what your study is demonstrating. But another piece of bad news is medical. More than 99% of the MLB employees have not been infected by the virus yet. Yeah. That means this virus has a long way to go. Here we are two months into this lockdown. Everybody's just had it. The economy is down four or 5%. 14% of Americans are unemployed. People have had it. And if we end the lockdown, whether we end the lockdown or not, this virus has a long way to go. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I mean, the, 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 the epidemic is very far from over. Uh, the lockdown, as I said, uh, would, from in the MLB evidence and other places, uh, has successfully slowed the spread of it. But that means that once we lift it, it's going to spread. Um, and now, people talk about second waves. I mean, uh, we don't know if the virus is seasonal or not. The second wave is the idea is it's premised on that maybe it's seasonal. So in the summer, it'll it'll slow down in the spread just by itself. Uh, but it might not. I mean, it might just it might just start growing after the after we after we lift the lockdowns. Um, that's that is I think the main argument in favor of a lockdown. Two, we've as I say, we've been locked down for a couple of months now, and in my own mind, I'm still unclear what our leaders, Donald Trump, Andrew Cuomo, or our own governor, Gavin Newsom, what the rationale for the lockdown was and what it is now. There seem to be two rationales. One is we make sure that our medical facilities don't get overwhelmed. That is to say, people don't, this was the concern at the very beginning, that emergency rooms would be swamped. We'd have people choking to death in hallways because there weren't enough ventilators and so forth. That's over. 
I think there may there may have been a couple of hospitals in New York, I believe the Bronx, the Bronx and the Queens, where for a while, but even then it only lasted a week or 10 days, the medical facilities really were under pressure. But even in New York, they didn't use the overflow capacity in the Javits Center, the hospital ship wasn't used. So if the purpose was to, of the lockdown was to make sure we didn't overwhelm our medical facilities, it's done. We yeah. succeeded, right? No, that is correct. Uh, in fact, we have quite the opposite problem now, that there are hospital systems around the country that are going bankrupt because they had to shut down uh, you know, elective surgeries, all, all kinds of uh, other, uh, other services that they normally provide. Um, and uh, in fact, a lot, of the, a lot of the money or a large chunk of the money that, uh, that's been on the bailout is going to hospital systems, actually, just to, to make sure that, that we, we still have hospitals left in this country after the lockdown. All right. And the other rationale, which I guess the, the politicians who make this argument or imply this argument just don't know any better. I get, the other rationale is we're going to keep you all locked up until we get this thing licked. But I do, I do think just in casual conversation, that's in the backs of people's minds. Once the lockdown ends, the lockdown will end when there's no more danger. But that's not possible is what you seem to be saying. No. I mean, I think uh, that what you, the way you formulated it is exactly right. Uh, I think in the back of people's heads is this idea that somehow we can eradicate the disease if we just stay locked down. That is not possible, right? It's the serologic evidence, and even the MLB study uh, this, uh, suggests this, um, that it is suggested that the epidemic's too widespread to eradicate. It spreads via asymptomatic uh, contact, uh, like people who don't have very many symptoms, just even mild cold symptoms can spread the thing. Um, they're not going to show up for your for for testing. They're not going to show up in a hospital. They won't go to a doctor. You won't know that they're spreading, um, that spreading the disease. I mean, just you know, just in LA County alone, there's the, the, the numbers suggest 400,000 plus people have had the disease. Um, it's not possible to eradicate it with a lockdown, um, and so I think I think we have to we have to come to terms with that. I think. So can I on this question of eradication? I just want to. The counterexample, the disease that we think we could eradicate, for example, for example, I'm just asking if this is correct, if this is the right way to think about it, Ebola. You know who has Ebola because it's very dramatic, bleeding from all sorts of orifices and just horrible. Also not terribly infectious. Once people realize what's going on because it's so disgusting, people, people keep their distance automatically. And in each Ebola outbreak, of which I guess there have been several in the last decade or so, I think all limited to Africa, but you can count the number of victims, you can keep people away from them, and then you can just wait until those victims either die, alas with Ebola, I think at least half of them did die, or recover, and then it's all over, correct? Roughly? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's the, that's the strategy that works with diseases like that. It's called, uh, you test, you contact trace, so you figure out who they, they were in touch with, you go test those people, and until you're until you've identified all the people in their social circle that have that have had the disease, and you isolate them, you quarantine them so they don't infect anybody else. That works fine when you have a disease with a very limited number of people who've been infected, uh, and that where you don't get a lot of spread via, via people who don't show that many symptoms. Uh, you know, you just basically, if, if you have have the disease, it's very clearly evident that you have it. Uh, you're likely to seek medical attention for it. 
Um, a disease like this, where we, we've seen a very large number of the people don't have very many symptoms and yet can spread it, this kind of strategy will not work. This strategy just, is, is doomed to fail. In fact, it's, it's also it's going to be counterproductive to do a strategy like this. I, I was just looking at uh, uh, the news from Ventura County. Apparently, they decided to do contact tracing. Uh, I mean, Governor Newsom just announced he's going to raise an, essentially an army of contact tracers. If they, if you're, if you're found positive, they'll quarantine you, force forcefully quarantine you, right? So, what are the incentive effects of this? People are going to say, "I don't want to be tested." Like, right. what if I, what if I end up positive? Right, right. All right, we can't eradicate the disease. Can you just take me through then two concepts? Just explain the concepts, and then if you would explain how they apply to the current position situation. I have to say, I've heard the phrase herd, herd immunity more times in the last few weeks than ever before in my life. And I don't quite know what it means. It's talking about human beings as if they were sheep, I suppose. How many people have to get infected before you get herd, herd immunity? And then the other thing is, this, you use the phrase yourself. I've, another phrase we've heard over and over is running its course. The virus will run its course. Viruses do somehow or other. So what, just, just explain those two concepts. Sure. Uh, so uh, I want to be a little bit careful here because there's still an active debate among immunologists about the extent to which you get, actually get immunity after, you, uh, from, after you've been infected, how, how, how complete that immunity is and how long it lasts. So we, there's still questions that left to be answered, but let's just take a, a, a tip, like just a, 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 a virus, not necessarily COVID-19. I mean, the, typically what you get from a virus is, is immunity, right? From, from a viral infection, you get antibodies that protect you against future, future infections, right? So uh, that's in fact, that's the whole point of vaccines is to produce those antibodies without actually being infected with the virus. Uh, now, if a sufficiently large fraction of the population has these antibodies where they're protected. Uh, well, okay, so just imagine two people interacting randomly in a population. If, if most of the people have, have these antibodies, then for sure, no matter what, you're not gonna be able to, that, that random interaction isn't gonna result in, in the virus spreading from one person to the next. So herd immunity is a, is a theoretical idea that says above a certain fraction of the population, it's very unlikely that you're gonna contact contract the virus from, uh, from interactions with other people. And is there a standard fraction that is used? So we say it's a rule of thumb, a simple heuristic, once you get to 30% or 40%, it, it, you're okay? I mean, it, it varies from virus to virus and it varies on, on how infectious the thing happens to be. Uh, it actually, it, 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 so there's a lot, a lot of like variables that go into what fraction that is. I mean, like it's just, if I had to pick a number, I'd say 70%, 80% of the population. Um, but it could be more. It could be. It could be more. It could be less, uh, uh, depending on a whole bunch of variables that we don't yet know in the case of COVID of, of SARS-CoV-2. But whatever it is, whatever the hurt, whatever that number is to achieve herd immunity, it is way more than the twenty percent we see even at the highest infection levels in New York, and it is way way more than the seven tenths of one percent that your study has just picked up among the middle and upper middle class workers of the Major League Baseball Association. Yeah. So we cannot eradicate this disease. It's way too late for that. And we are not even close to herd immunity. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, you're just full of good cheer today. I, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I told you, Peter, there was going to be bad news. I mean, I think 0.7 is a success in, that, in one sense, right? I mean, we've, 
we paid costs for the lockdown and that, that lockdown has produced slow spread. In that sense, we've achieved in, in what, we, what we set out to do with the lockdown. Okay, hold on right there, Buster, because my question to you is, was it the lockdown that achieved slow spread? If it was the lockdown that achieved a slow spread, why is Sweden, which did not lock down? Now, in fairness to the argument, Sweden, Swedish people, they encourage people to engage in social distancing. Apparently, hotel vacancy shot up. Swedes stopped traveling on air. People voluntarily engaged in a lot of the measures that we engage in, but the Swedes kept the economy open. They kept their schools open. It's just an astounding thing that in the United States and the United Kingdom in particular, I've been following Britain a little bit, in the First and Second World Wars, Second World War, this is staggering. The Germans were bombing Britain in the Second World War, and they kept the schools open. They kept the children in school. Now, they were shipped out of London, some of them, but they kept the schools open. In this crisis, schools have been shut down. So are you sure it was the lockdown that slowed the spread? I mean, the lockdown almost certainly slowed the spread. I mean, even in Sweden, there's... That beautiful question. You're just going to bat it aside like that? I I mean, it's... uh, it couldn't not slow the spread. Now, what you're saying is that they're private efforts that also slow the spread in the absence of formal formal requirements to lock yes. down or close schools. Or, 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 and I completely agree with that. In fact, that's one of the major problems with the disease models is that they pretend that if, uh, if in the absence of formal lockdown that people wouldn't engage in social distancing or, or hand washing or whatnot to... I mean, I think that's, so that means that they tend to overestimate the benefits of the lockdown. In that sense, I completely agree with you. But the marginal effect of locking down formally is to reduce the, the social interactions that we normally would do, even, in, in, even when we face the threat of a disease like COVID-19, right? So like, I, you know, I, I, so I think uh, these legal uh, impositions have their effect and we have to give them their due. Uh, not as much as people think, because as you say, there's the private efforts that, that would have happened anyways, but still they do have their effect. Uh, and you can see that in Swedish numbers, right? It's gone, it's, it has spread more in, within Sweden than it has in Norway. There's, there's more deaths in Sweden to date from COVID-19 than in than Norway. But do we know that the Swedes are not simply getting through it more quickly? That the Norwegians no, will, the, the will have the same death rate in the end? That is, um, that's the thing. It's not that the lockdowns, pe- people look at the lockdowns, they think things like, okay, the, the death rates have to go down for you know, 14 days in a row and then we can lift the lockdowns, right? Um, but if I'm right, that the lockdowns are effective, you lift the lockdown, then it just starts growing again, okay. right? Uh, I mean, so it's not that the, lock- the lockdowns are not a mechanism for disease eradication. All right. They're not a mechanism for disease eradication that will never eradicate a disease. It'll only okay. delay when the, when the disease happens now or later you pay the cost now or you pay it later all right so covid is like um wimpy in um, popeye i will gladly pay you on thursday for a hamburger today all right i thought it was tuesday but tuesday could be could be that there i won't quibble with there i will defer to your superior learning jay let me ask you two or three questions that are just what do we know now questions the weather here in northern california the last couple of days it's been in the 80s that's dramatically different from when the Lockdown started, it was still gray, rainy, cold. What do we know about warming temperatures? Uh, we, we, don't know, we don't know for sure. I mean, I think there's a hypothesis going around that, uh, that 
like some other other viruses, it, it's seasonal, and so it uh, it'll become more dormant and spread will be slower during the summer. Um, uh, but we don't know why. We don't know uh, for certain that it's warmer temperatures that slow it. Yeah, I mean, I think why could be just the virus doesn't, you know, it it uh, it it's unstable in 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 you know sunlight or, or there could be all kinds of reasons why, but we don't know for certain that's true in this case. Uh, yeah, I mean, still, I mean, now there's some some evidence from Australia, for instance, it hasn't spread as widely in Australia, I think, as people thought, because they were they were in their, there's you know, they, yeah, right. exactly when it when it when it was spreading so jay what do we know about transmission outdoors versus transmission indoors seems like indoors is where it's happening where most of the transmission happens uh that, that so for instance in new york a lot of the spread was in nursing homes nursing homes uh in wuhan and in and in in uh uh, uh italy in hospitals uh in, actually in italy also in nursing homes uh, uh you need uh it seems like you need to have some extended contact with with people who are positive in a setting indoors where for it to spread now that's not to say it can't spread outdoors but the it looks like from the evidence that i've seen mostly it's it's it indoor spread all right transmission from children to others we learned very quickly that children didn't seem to come down with they didn't become well, symptomatic but isn't there is there beginning to be evidence now about transmission from children to others so there's this absolutely fascinating study out of Iceland. Uh, this this uh, um, company, I think Decode Genetics is called, they, they sequenced every single virus they could find inside, in, in, among people in Iceland. I think Iceland, they've, they've actually done PCR tests on 12 or, or like almost 15% of their population. Um, and they, every, every positive person they got, they, 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 they took the virus and they sequenced it. And they looked for mutations. Um, and from these mutation patterns, you can figure out who got the virus from what, from whom. I see. So, uh, so uh, for instance, they figured out that a lot of the vir virus inside Iceland came from the UK, because that's where the, 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 the max the mutation patterns in the UK, or and I saw also from from uh, like some ski resort towns in Germany or or Austria or something. Anyway, so one of the main things they was was they found was that that there wasn't a single instance where they could show that the virus had, had gone from a child to an adult. It was always the other way around. Always the other yeah, way around. Yeah, I guess I should be careful. They said it was not from a, from a child to a parent. No, not, no, no instances of that. It's always the other way around. All right. What do we know about the deaths rate? Deaths, the death rates. We talked earlier when you were about to conduct your first test here in Santa Clara County that the the fatality rate was, was almost meaningless because we didn't know anything about the denominator, how many people had been infected. But I've seen so many stories. Again, I'm just a layman. I'm reading the newspaper and I'm checking it with a professional now. I've seen so many stories that death certificates, there is at least cause to, for concern that death certificates are overstating deaths from COVID-19. Do okay. we know anything oh. about that? Uh, is it all purely I, I, anecdotal? I mean, I think I, th I think that uh, death certificate data. It, I mean, they're filled out by doctors who have to make a difficult call, right? So you have a patient. Uh, I'll just take an example that have nothing to do with COVID nineteen, just to give you an example of difficulties, right? So you take a patient with diabetes. They have a heart attack. The heart attack causes because uh, of the diabetes, their, their their arteries clog up in their heart. They the heart attack causes the heart to fail, which then causes their the lungs to fill up with fluid. Then they get pneumonia and they die of the pneumonia. 
Okay. What should I write down for the cause of death there? Diabetes, heart disease, you know, pneumonia. I mean, it could be, you know, it could be a lot of things I could write down there. So um, people are making difficult calls when they fill out death certificates. I don't, I don't want to second guess that. I'm much more interested in the denominator, right? What we, what even, even with uh, whatever's happening in the numerator, what we found in Santa Clara is that uh, it was a, somewhere between 0.1 and 0.2 percent, one in a thousand and two in a thousand risk of death. Same thing in LA County. Uh, actually, they found the same thing in in Miami Dade. They found, uh, I think, in in Germany, they found somewhere between 0.25 and 0.4 per, uh, percent. Uh, you know, again, two in a thousand to four in a thousand. New York City, they found about five in a thousand. Um, they found, so it's it's basically consistent worldwide, somewhere between one in a thousand and five in a thousand in all of these serologic studies that, that worldwide. Um, and by the MLB, by the way, of zero, there was no deaths in the MLB population, despite the 0.7%, 0% mortality. I see. Jake, another one of these questions when I'm just asking for a simple education, distinguish, if you would, between a vaccine and therapies. Yeah, so a vaccine, what it does is it puts, uh, it injects in you certain uh, parts of the virus that don't actually make you sick. Right. And that induces your body to produce antibodies that then, if you're exposed to the virus, would, would be neutralized by the antibodies. Right? So you're just, your body has now produced its own, essentially, defense system um, in reaction to the, 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 the thing that you're injected with. So it's the, it is of the nature of the vaccine, this is the bit I care about, it's the nat- of the nature of the vaccine that it very substantially just solves the problem. Yeah. But those are hard to develop? Very difficult to develop. There aren't any vaccines in, for human coronaviruses. So, you know, there's six, I think, I, I don't exactly know, but something like five or six coronaviruses that infect humans, and we don't have a single vaccine for any of them. Wow. So this notion... Apart from anything else, the idea that we could continue the lockdown until a vaccine is, is developed is just ridiculous. That's preposterous. Well, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe like there's a tremendous effort worldwide to try to develop a vaccine for uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, and I hope that it succeeds. Uh, should we continue the lockdown until it succeeds? Well, I mean, we don't have a vaccine for HIV. We don't have a vaccine for any of the coronaviruses. We don't have, I mean, it's a very difficult task to develop a vaccine. It's a lot of very bright minds working on it, but do, should, we, should we basically It's unpredictable. Our- it's unpredictable. You, it's not like building a building where we've built a lot of buildings in downtown Manhattan, 60 stories, west side. Yeah, okay, here's the budget, here's the time, and within 10% of each, we'll bring it in. You can't do that with a vaccine. It's just utterly open-ended. Mm-hmm. Is that the, all right. And have any, do we have evidence now that we have any really, any truly useful therapies for treating the thing? Okay. So, so the uh, vaccine, the vaccine solves the problem and the therapy addresses the problem after you're already sick, right? Right. So okay. uh, what, one of the things we learned from the serologic studies is that there's a very wide range of presentations, right? So there's, there's the mild illness that, or, or almost no symptoms, looks like a cold Ill kind, of, kind of version of it. And then there's these like absolutely deadly viral pneumonia that we're reading in papers about. Um, the, the focus of therapeutic effort is to, is to 
either A, prevent the, once you get infected to, from people getting the very, very severe presentations, or if you do get the severe presentations, to, to make sure you don't die from it so you can get uh, sort of essentially you know, healed uh, despite having had the severe presentation. So those are the two kinds of, I've, kind of the distinctions I make for, for, uh, for uh, therapeutics. Um, I mean, there's, uh, there's been some advances. So like the, the, uh, there's a, a company up the street called Gilead that's produced a, 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 a drug, actually an older drug that they, they tried out in here called uh, Rem, I always Remdemsevir. Remdesivir, you got it better. Okay, well, you, Peter, they should give you an MD. Um, uh, okay, so uh, that seems to, to have some effect on people who have, uh, have, these, have these like severe uh, pneumonias. But it, they haven't checked to see if it if, if it reduces mortality yet. I mean, they've nice. done some randomized studies. I mean, it, it looks promising, but is it is it? A, it's not. I don't think anyone thinks of it as it solved the problem, right? Okay. So, I, so Jay, Jay. So now, now I'm going to play some composite character. I'm going to be one part Gavin Newsom, and one part Andrew Cuomo, and heaven help me, one part Donald J. Trump. And I'm going to say, doctor, fat lot of use you've been to me so far. I've got this lockdown going on. Huge numbers of people are unemployed. Even those who, are, who can work at home successfully and who can work at home and continue to receive their paycheck have had it about up to here. Schools are closed. Goodness knows how, how kids who are high school juniors this year are going to apply to colleges next year when their junior year grades are ambiguous and they're not taking the SAT. This is, this, it's going to take, if we ended the lockdown tomorrow, it would take months for, the, for us to recover and to get back to anything that feels like normal. And here's what you're telling me, doctor. You're telling me that we, st we have no idea when or if a vaccine will be developed. You're telling me that we have only very preliminary information about any therapies that might prove truly useful. You're telling me that although the fatality is, runs in the range of one to five in a thousand, which sounds pretty low, well, you know, a I'm a, again, I'm a working politician, and I know the way the network effect works among people. One to, one to five in a thousand is enough that when one of those people dies, three, four hundred We'll have heard of it. We'll have known the person. We'll have known the person's family. That is plenty to scare people, really scare people, and understandably so. And, um, and you're telling me that once this lockdown ends, this virus is still just getting started infecting our people. What in the hell do you want me to do? What I tell you is there is no safe option. Oh, thank you. All right, that go ahead. Give us so if you if you think that having the lockdown it will provide you safety, you're mistaken, because the problem is that uh, this lockdown has had enormous negative effects on the health of people in the United States and worldwide. Uh, we talked about the first time I talked. I, the way I was talking about it is lies for lives. I still believe that. Um, the, 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 there have been people who have delayed their chemotherapy as a result of the lockdown. They, they've had heart attacks and not gone to the doctor. They've had, uh, there, there's, I just saw a report that uh, estimating, you know, nearly uh, uh, 75,000 people additional will have committed suicide or, or as a result of the, the lockdown I mean, for these, these deaths of despair. 
uh, Wait, over the next year. Worldwide or? No, U.S. Um, That's so, a fr- so how many people have died of the, of the coronavirus so far? What's the, what's the top estimate? 30,000? Oh, I, don't, I, I didn't look at the number today, but I think 70,000 up to now. 70,000. So yeah. as many people have killed themselves as have died well, I mean, I think that's that's a forecast. So that's not that's not. I see. All right, all right, all right. Like, but I mean, but but you get the you get the point. I mean, that that happened after during the Great Recession. The the there was these deaths of despair. Uh, that's going to come back in spades when we have a, a GDP collapse of the, of the sort that we're seeing, an unemployment rate that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Um, and that's just the United States. Worldwide, there's there has already evidence of resurgence of diseases that we thought we had a handle on. You know, 1.4 million cases of tuberculosis not, not treated in India. Uh, starvation of children. Wait, 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 that 1.4 million. million cases of tuberculosis in India Yeah. That as a result of COVID, as a result, as a result of, of the lockdowns? Lockdown. I mean, basically people sparing the hospital systems to try to, try to be able to treat COVID patients. Um, I mean, you know, and, and shutdown orders that make it difficult for people to travel to doctor to 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 the to the clinics to get the to get the. I mean, for for, uh, for tuberculosis, you need basically regular antibiotic treatment for a lo- very very long time. Or so, in a place in a place such as India, you impose a lockdown, and you've you and you're pushing the entire population into a time machine. Their healthcare their healthcare regresses a century. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that, that, that's not just true in India. That's true in every every country on earth, especially the poor people in every country on earth will suffer from this from this from this global economic collapse that essentially we've caused. Um, I mean, partly it's due to COVID, but it's partly also the response of the of the of, of governments around the world to shut down our economies. Uh, there is no safe option here. You either face the the the, the problems that are, have have to do with lifting the lockdown and COVID. Um, or you face the the problems having to do with the economic collapse that we've caused as a result of trying to deal with deal with COVID. All right. Um, so no matter what choice you make, Peter, you're going to you're you're you are in, you are in some sense going to be on the hook. Okay. So <laughs> again, I'm playing a composite of several politicians, and here's the I'm a working politician. Here's my calculation. I'm going to keep the shutdown going until I figure out a way whereby whatever happens next, I don't get blamed. Is that a good calculation? Is that useful? <laughs> I mean, I, I understand the incentives. Uh, I think what, what I, would, I would like to see is actual leadership. Okay, so enough of my playing Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo and Donald Trump. You're the governor of California. Oh, You're the God. governor of New York. You're the president of the United States. What do you do? Do you peel up a corner of the lockdown? How... What what do you do, Jay? Well, I think I think there's a there's a lot that we've learned about the virus that, that could help here. All so right. one is, um, I think we know for certain that uh, there's certain groups that are very very high at, at, at risk when they get the disease. Old and sick. Yes. So we ha- we have to work very hard to protect people when we start lifting lockdown who who fit that description, especially the places where they live. Right. The the the, the fact that such a large fraction of the deaths have occurred in nursing homes is a clue that that's where we basically should be taking action to protect protect people. Quarantining, uh, like basically making making the nursing homes much safer, is going to be a, pri- a huge priority as we lift the lockdown up. Um, I think uh, uh, 
there's other kinds of things we've learned about, uh, about uh, we're, we're, so we're much better with ventilator protocols than we were at the beginning of the, of the crisis. I think that'll, that's, that's, that's a concrete improvement that, that, that's already starting to happen around the country and around the world. Um, uh, so I think there's, there's, there's a lot uh, potentially we can do using the lessons we've learned over the last couple of months uh, to, to improve things as we lift the lockdown. Jay, if I, if I, you and I are now, I'm, forget about democracy, you and I are now co-emperors. <laughs> Peter, this, and, and, this is more and more uncomfortable. First I'm governor, now I'm emperor. Now you're emperor. Well, the meaning, if we could get anything done we wanted to do, what would we do? And here's, so I'm the budget emperor, and I'll let you be the guy who decides. You, you be the decision emperor. But the budget emperor says, well, you know, the Fed has already made available 2.2 trillion. Who knows? At that stage, the numbers are almost meaningless, but it's made available over, well over $2 trillion in new debt facilities. And Congress has already enacted 2.3 trillion in various forms of aid. 40% of it wasted is my view, but still, or maybe 60%, but still some of it goes for unemployment. All right. So what you're saying is, if we, whatever we need to do to protect the people most at risk is going to cost a tiny fraction of what we've already spent for this lockdown. Uh, by the way, on top of the money, that, on top of the money going out, you have to take into account a, a what a seventeen, eighteen trillion dollar economy, which has shrunk five percent in the last couple of months. So that's some X trillion dollars. The sums are just vast. So I guess what I'm saying is, take a hundred billion and do anything you want with it. Could you? Could would that help? Could you fix things pretty substantially with a hundred billion? Nursing homes, older people. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think uh, those things we can do for sure. I mean, I don't think it would cost a hundred billion. I, I I don't know how much it would cost. But okay. I, well, my so, point is actually, I mean, if, we're being, if we're being sensible, we can do stuff that doesn't cost much. That's yeah. that's my point. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The other thing is, I think is is uh, we we actually need a better we need we need to better understand who who actually is at risk. I mean, it's not all old people that are at risk. That's not right. Um, what, uh, so, like, uh, I, I think again, for not that that expensive, we could we could better learn who's at risk and then focus our attention on on providing support for those folks, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what that would look like. So, so I'm, I'm I, a little hesitant to, to answer no. this, Peter, because I don't I don't. I mean, I'm, this is why I'm not emperor. Like, you have to op actually <laughs> operationalize that idea. Uh, okay, so here, here's a question I have for you. That again, this is just a layman fumbling around, but it occurred to me to think of the COVID nineteen as two viruses. Even as back at the turn of the twentieth century, physicists began to think of light as both waveform and discrete particles. Two contradictory concepts, and yet it seems that both were true. And here's what I mean. In a large majority of cases, COVID-19 is a bad flu. Maybe even not a bad flu. People, quite a few people are totally asymptomatic. But in some unknown number of cases, smaller, much smaller, but still significant, it is much worse than the flu. So we have a, an unusually vigorous 55-year-old who comes this close to losing his life and he's the prime minister of the United Kingdom. That's not the flu. And if we can figure out what, what it is about these special cases, 
Those are the cases that scare everybody witless, understandably so, right? Now, is there, is, have I framed a question that's scientifically pursuable? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the way I would say that is I think we have to characterize who's most at risk. What clinical characteristics, what demographic characteristics puts you at highest risk for the, 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 the severe presentation of the virus? That's an answerable question. Uh, I mean, I, there may be things we don't know, but we can take a, bet, a good stab at it already, I think. I think that should be the first priority for, for epidemiologists and clinicians to try to figure, figure out who's at most risk. And then, and then once we have that answer to that, um, we can do more than just protect the nursing homes, right? We can, we can tell people, okay, you have a, a, a set of characteristics that puts you at risk if you were to get infected. Um, you know, you wear a mask, you, you, you work to protect yourself from, from exposure, uh, you know, consider carefully about uh, working from home. Whereas like, you know, Peter, you're, you're not, you don't fit the profile of someone that's really, really high risk. You still have some risk. I mean, no life without risk. Um, but you're more likely to be down over here than over here. If you get it, you make your decisions about how you want to live your life. Okay. Last couple of questions. What about testing? Is there, is, some people, Paul Romer, Nobel Prize winner, a former colleague here at, the, at Stanford, now at NYU, but he's calling for vast numbers of tests tens of millions of tests, testing becoming a regular part of everyone's life. How do we do, is that reasonable? Would it be useful? Where, where do you stand? I mean, you're protesting because you've, we're talking about a new test that you've conducted. Well, I mean, the question is like, how do you use the tests and what, what, is it, what does it mean for your life as a result of having, having it? So, like, so the test, I think that uh, uh, the Paul Romer is calling for are these PCR tests. Mm. They test whether you actually have the virus, as we talked about you know, several times. Um, so you have the virus. You don't have the virus now, Peter. Okay, I test you today. Um, you're free to come to work. Do I test you tomorrow? Because you might have gotten the virus between, between today and tomorrow. Do I test you the next day? It, it would really, I think in order to be effective, I, I mean, you don't have to do it that frequently. Maybe you do it once a week. But Maybe it's a lot. Antibody positive. I mean, I think you could, you would have to, you'd have to have it, it, it really would have to become a regular part of your life. And not just to come to work, but to go to anywhere, right? If, if, you wanted, if you wanted to do that, it'd be billions and billions of tests all the time. Where, and it, they're not, I mean, they're, they're, the other problem with a, a lot of those tests are uh, most of them, most of the PCR tests take two days to come back. Now, there are these point of care ones. Um, you, I mean, I, I think clever people have been working to build a, a testing regimen that minimizes the pro probability of your being sick in an environment when you go to a go to work or an environment that, 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 that where you want to interact using a combination of antibody tests and, and PCR tests. I, I assume that clever people are going to be able to come up with that kind of regimen. The question to me is, uh, I mean, we normally have, have thought that health privacy was a good idea. Your DNA now is, the, is, is in the hands that you go to a restaurant, you do the, the swab, now the DNA, the, the restaurant now owns your DNA. Um, mm. you go, basically, anywhere you go, you're going to get tested. Uh, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I think that's possible. It's, I mean, I, again, some very, very clever people have, have designed mechanisms to do that. But I think that would result in a fundamental change in how we view, uh, how, uh, what, a fundamental change in American life. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I, 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 I guess I'll just leave it at that. I, I, I personally don't want that 
but I can see why people might because they, they trade that for some safety. All right. A couple of last questions. Jay, so you're in favor of lifting the lockdown and you have to answer an accusation of callousness from a former vice president of the United States now running for president, Joe Biden, quote, no life is worth losing to add one more point to the Dow, close quote. You, Jay Bhattacharya, are willing to trade lives for dollars. How do you answer that? I mean, I, I um, actually, I should be careful. I, I'm in favor of the lockdown, uh, lockdowns being lifted where it, it makes sense to lift them, right? So where, we, where we've run the, the numbers and we say, okay, it's not going to overwhelm systems or, or whatnot. But let, let's take that as given, right? So we, we've, we've run that's the numbers. Most, on your reckoning, that's most of the United States now. That's probably most of the United States. But, you know, we should run the numbers first just to, just to, re, just to be sure okay. it's safe. Um, we don't have, uh, we don't have uh, serologic studies everywhere. So I, I don't know what the numbers are of most, most of the country. Um, anyway, so let, let's, let's take as given that, that uh, I'm in favor of the lockdown being lifted in a certain area, right? Um, the, the way I'd answer uh, Mr. Biden is I would say, look, uh, you've mischaracterized the other side, right? Are you in favor of 75,000 people killing themselves extra as a result of the lockdown? Are you in favor of starving tens of millions of children across the earth? Um, it, I don't think uh, a, uh, an accusation of callousness, of callousness, I mean, there's morality on both sides of this argument is what I'm trying to say. And it's, it's extremely misleading to, to say that it's that only the lock people who want to lift lockdowns are are are, are, are people who are greedy focused on money that's just not right um, the, the the fact is that the, their lives it's going to be lost on both sides of that policy and both sets of lives count in the calculus all right a penultimate question and then we get to the last question here's the penultimate question uh, the second time we talked you discussed your study in Santa Clara County and within 48 hours of your releasing that study, within certain niches of the internet, there was an explosion of, of statistical challenges, which I'm perfectly happy to admit I couldn't even begin to follow. Miscalculation of false negatives or false positives, something like that. Can you just, you have explained all the, uh, you, you've dealt with these arguments, but I just, uh, for viewers who saw that and maybe wondering what's going on, can you, Tell us where viewers can go, and then we'll link to it when we put up the show. Sure. So we have a we have a uh, uh, an answer to all. Of, I mean, I, I guess I was a Twitter celebrity for a little while as the as the statistical Twitter We're model. Infamous, not famous, but infamous. Infamous, infamous. Yes. Right. So I've been I've been told that by my kids. Um. So uh, so I th I think if you if uh so the the let me characterize the the basic argument. Um. We're using a test that has some rate of false positives, meaning that if you're truly antibody negative. Some of the time, actually, it turns out to be about 0.5 percent of the time, uh, meaning five one half of one percent, right? Um, uh, it, it'll it'll show up as positive, right? Okay. Suppose that the prevalence is actually in the population 0.3 percent. Well, that means I can't I can't rule out that all of those 0.3 percent were actually zero. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So. Um, Essentially, that was the argument they were making. The Except test isn't fine-grained enough to pick it up with reliable, with certainty. All right. Correct. Uh, and so I think that that's in essence the kind of argument they were making. Now, there was a, a variant of that because they're talking about standard errors and, and a whole bunch of other 
uh, details that we cover in, our, in the response document that, that are not so important. But that, that in a nutshell is, is the argument that people were making. Um, the, the problem with that argument is that they just got it wrong. Like you can actually, oh, the, the first, the, the, the prevalence in Santa Clara turned out to be about 3%, uh, way more than the 0.5% that we had. I see. And even at the base of the stand, like if, even if you took the worst case of, of what you thought our test characteristics were, you still are above zero. So I think they just they just simply got the, the statistics wrong. Um, it was just a mis I, think, I mean, just a lot of noise. I think a lot of that, a lot of the, why, why am I a Twitter, uh, tw infamous on Twitter? I mean, I think, uh, even though I'm not actually on Twitter, I mean, I think, I think a lot of the Twitter critics, what they were arguing is that, look, uh, the test uh, kit that we're using is not accurate enough to pick up uh, the prevalence numbers that we saw. That in fact, all of the all of the positives we had could be false positives. But that that argument is actually just simply wrong. It's just not true. E even at the bottom of the, even if you take the worst case for how accurate our test kit is, um, it's 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 accurate enough to pick up the three percent prevalence we picked up in Santa Clara. Um, it's accurate enough to pick up the. Uh, the 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 four uh, percent we picked up in Los, Ad Los Angeles, and actually it turns out to, it's accurate enough to pick up even the the point seven percent we picked up in the, in the MLB study, uh, and we make that case in the in a in a, in a, in a uh, sort of an, an answer to the critics in that in, the, in that preprint server you can link to. Okay, terrific. Jay, here's the last question: Should the MLB start the baseball season? I think they're thinking about how to do that safely. I don't think probably but there not. is a way to do so safely. You'd advise them if you're careful, you can go ahead. I mean, I, no one's asked me that question from the MLB. What, you know, they're just, they're not going to, they're not going to, because they didn't, I didn't, I'm not hired by them to answer that question. In fact, I didn't get paid by them at all for the study. Um, I, the, the, uh, I think the kinds of thinking that, I, I, let's leave the MLB aside, that I've seen from other sports leagues around the world that are thinking about this is uh, let's do testing to verify the set of athletes and coaches and and, uh, and umpires and whatnot that are there are negative. Essentially isolate them from the, for the whole season while they play with play games with each other in front of nobody. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's so that's the kind of reopening I think they're thinking about. Um, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't, I can't speak for the MLB. I don't actually know what the MLB is doing along these lines, but this is again okay. what I've heard from other sports leagues. Is so, that overcautious or is that perfectly reasonable? I think it's reasonable. I mean, I don't think you want to expose fans to this. You don't want to expose athletes to this, to, to this. I mean, it's, you're, you're asking me what would I do if I were governor? Like, what would I do if I were the MLB commissioner? The MLB commissioner? I mean, I, I would be risk averse about this, but I also would want to want to seek ways to open the thing up. Okay. It's not as much fun, you know, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks, that sort of thing. All you, can, right. you can watch it on TV, Peter. <laughs> All right. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine here at Stanford. Thank you for joining us once again. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. For the Hoover Institution, Uncommon Knowledge and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson. Mm -hmm.